I didn't ever expect a repair to ever occur when there was a rupture. And so because I didn't expect repairs to occur, I grew up kind of white knuckling connection and attunement when it was there. Mm -hmm. And dreading and fearing that a rupture might occur because I never had an experience of the rupture getting healed or fixed. Welcome to The Art of We, the podcast where we explore how committed partnerships can be potent vehicles for fully delivering our gifts to the world. Hi, I'm Krista Vanderveer, a seasoned consultant and executive coach. And I'm Dr. Will Vanderveer, a leader and educator in integrative mental health and wellness. As husband and wife and business partners, we keep learning that the key to maximizing our authenticity and impact in the world lies inside the health, security, and depth of our relationship. On this show, we'll pull back the curtains to share lessons, insights, and practices from our own marriage and professional careers that help us thrive. If you're a leader, founder, or overachiever, and you want to leverage your relationships for personal and collective growth, then you're in the right place. So as most of you know, this show is about the art of we, and we focus a lot on our relationship, our marriage, and our business partnership as well. But a lot of the tools that we use, we also use outside of our partnership with friends, with colleagues, even with our team members, sometimes their family. And so this is definitely one of those episodes where we're sharing a resource that we have that we use in all areas or most areas of life. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And all the areas that are where there are willing participants uh, to join us in in co-creating this way of being together. Yeah, definitely. And obviously we choose which relationships we want to bring this into probably the more important relationships or we're up to something big together. I also wanted to share too that Will and I, you and I have committed to doing 12 episodes and that's kind of our, that's our container. And we want to make sure that we're really using our time to share something valuable. So if you find value out of this, please give us feedback because potentially we'll continue beyond 12 episodes. Yeah, definitely. And how do you want people to give us feedback? I think any way possible. You can leave reviews. You can reach out to us on Instagram. We'll share our Instagram at the end of the episode. If you know us personally, please reach out to us. How does that sound, Will? Any other ideas? Oh, that sounds great. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. So today we're going to share about one of our most potent agreements, which is what we call abundant repair. But before we go into sharing what abundant repair is, let's just talk a minute about agreements and why they feel important in relationship. And I'm wondering, Will, if you just want to start off there. I'd be happy to. Agreements are the basis of getting anything done. And I think they're also the basis of relaxation and and joy and enjoyment of relationship. So to break it down a little bit further, I would just say, and I'm curious to see what you would add to this, of course. When we make an agreement that we perceive each other keeping, it increases the trust. And the more trust there is, because trust is earned through keeping agreements, the more trust there is, the more relaxation and play and enjoyment can happen. Totally. Yeah. And I would say that we've we've really built an agreement-based relationship. Uh, We mentioned this in our last episode that we have 24 vows, which are basically based on agreements that we have, including this being one of them. And um, what I felt like was really important for us in building these agreements is that one, we were actually both totally on board with what we're saying yes to. I didn't feel like, like I felt like if we were bumping up against something that we wanted to create an agreement around, 
we really had to flush it out to make sure we both were a full yes to it. Otherwise, it's hard to show up for it. Absolutely. Which is key for us, especially when we need to be willing to show up for it when we get into challenging moments and we're really triggered. And, you know, it's hard to show up for anything except for a trigger in that moment. And um, so for those of you who are interested or do create agreements, you know, I'm, I'm imagining that this is something that you guys would want to is to make sure both of you are totally aligned about doing it. I've had partnerships where we've created agreements before, but then one of us wouldn't keep them because we weren't actually creating an agreement that we were a full yes to. Same. Yeah, I agree. I think that's really important. And then when when we're not a full yes, then you know we can we can talk about that and we can work through that and decide if we need to adjust the agreement as we evolve and change and learn and grow over over time together. Yeah, totally. So it's a it's a living thing. Yeah. So the abundant repair agreement. Do you want to start off in in sharing how you relate to what that means for us? Well, I just want before we go there, I just want to underline one piece that that you alluded to, which is that most of us, most of the time, and I'm speaking of myself too, kind of fall unconsciously into agreements that we're not 100% yeses to. Mm-hmm. And so, as you pointed out, of course, you struggle to keep that agreement because you weren't a full yes to that. And so, it's kind of an invitation to the audience to to look at that and see if that's true about your life that. There are certain agreements that you, you know, you might be a 50-50 or a 90-10 yes to. And how does that impact the way you show up for that agreement or blow it off? Whether that's agreement to not order the sugary drink at the restaurant or <laughs> or whether it's an agreement to get outside three days a week or whether it's an agreement to let your partner know if you're going to be five minutes late on your way home or whether it's an agreement to you know, not check your email while you're trying to do something creative. Mm. I mean, there's so many different ways that we kind of falter and don't uphold agreements that we consciously say we're going, you know, we're really committed to, but maybe unconsciously we're not so committed to. So just wanted to highlight that. I love that. It reminds me one time of a a story I heard about this executive who came to a team meeting and he came, I think it was like 15 minutes late. And in the context of the agreement was that everybody shows up on time and he comes in and he just kind of comes in and sits down. He's, I think it was the CEO. And he thought that he kept the agreement that he wasn't late because he encountered traffic on the way. It's an interesting conversation about agreements because people have different relationship with what it actually means to keep an agreement. So here with us, when we have our agreements, we're actually also super clear about what that means. And we'll get into that with abundant repair as well. So with abundant repair, do you want to start off with what your how you relate to our agreement around abundant repair and what that means? Sure. So I think that some context is probably helpful here that the concept of repair for me and this agreement with you was kind of born out of the research on infant mother attachment. And most of this research started in the 70s. But to really summarize the point and how it applies to us is that there are three phases of any relationship, connection, disconnection, and repair. And so these three phases in healthy relationships between infants and mothers happen in roughly one-third, one-third, one-third ratios. And this is kind of a revelation, actually, because most parents who care about connection and attunement hold the value that connection and attunement is better 
than disconnection, which you could also call rupture. And so there's a lot of bracing against rupture because of the valuing the attunement. But what most often is the case, according to the research, injuries that happen to children and, and something that you and I both experienced with parents who had very good intentions is not enough repair when there was a rupture and not enough even perception that there was a rupture in the first place. So our commitment to abundant repair is aimed at taking all of the concern away about when ruptures occur so that we can relax and know we can count on that repair is going to happen and it's going to happen fully and completely you know it might not happen in one second it might be a process but our commitment to abundant repair is one of my favorite ones because it takes away the stress of oh my gosh are we connected or not mm -hmm. yeah and by rupture many people can call that conflict it's like you said anything that really disconnects us a conflict a misunderstanding it could be something that occurred between us that wasn't fully resolved. It could be thinking that getting stuck in traffic and being 15 minutes late Isn't in my late. mind thought that I was keeping the agreement and you thought I wasn't. Totally, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I would say what usually happens instead of an agreement that we're talking about here between us, which I'll share more about how it impacts me as well, but like what I have found in previous relationships in my own relationships and what I see out in the world is that maybe it gets touched on, maybe the rupture gets contacted, but it doesn't get fully repaired. And it can be, whether it's minimizing the impact, like I, I'm like, oh, it's really no big deal. I shouldn't worry about it that much. I'll just let it go. Or it's getting defensive, like internally blaming you for something like, here he goes again, he's 15 minutes late. He's not taking ownership and I just get mad inside and defensive about it rather than actually addressing it with you. Or an even more toxic form that, you know, I've certainly experienced in my life and it's sad to say I've probably done this to people as well as gaslighting. And, you know, it's a more extreme version of defensiveness where you basically turn the tables on the impact and, and you act like the other person has no right to experience impact from your behavior. And not only that, but their reaction to your reaction is not okay. And so then you you sort of change the conversation from caring for and relating to the injury that you've caused and you sort of go on the offensive. Yeah. Yeah. It's extremely painful. Totally painful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so then what happens when we don't actually fully repair? I mean, we see and we hear about marriages who, you know, eventually end up splitting. There's such a high divorce rate right now. And mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that this is the sole reason that divorces are happening, but I would say it's a really huge reason is because these things aren't actually getting cleared and there's not the conversation. And there's like this slow split of connection over time where then you get to new normals of not actually being connected instead of what you and I are really standing for, which is being as connected as possible after rupture. And usually if we're actually doing the proper repair, then we're actually even more connected and we is strengthened prior to the rupture. Right. So the rupture at the end of the day becomes a strengthening process when the abundant repair kicks in to the extent that there's no residue left over mm -hmm. as opposed to what you're talking about, which I really agree. I think a lot of relationships are undermined 
gradually over time as resentments build because the repair is incomplete for a lot of reasons. I mean, one reason, as you said, minimizing the impact, you know, and uh, another reason is um, maybe not even valuing your own internal experience enough to look deeply mm -hmm. to see if there's impact that you're not accounting for. Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, you know, like the frog who's gradually boiled in the pot of water as the temperature raises, like the the getting used to or or coping or going along with a lower level of connection over time. Totally. Yeah. So when you and I rupture, which by the way, especially depending on our life circumstances, is a frequent thing. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah. and it's not like we're in these big, massive like fights. I wouldn't call them fights, but they're, they're ruptures. There's disconnections. There's misunderstandings, misattunement, needs not getting met, something like that. Like when we rupture, I've experienced this really because of this agreement, fully lean into each other and or lean into the situation, at least, attend to the situation, stay inside the conversation of it. We Neither of us walks away. I mean, we might have to attend to, you might have to go to work or I might have to have a meeting, but we always come back to the conversation of what happened. Yeah, absolutely. We commit to always coming back and always finishing the repair, Yeah, no matter how long that takes or you know how many interruptions there are to the process. It reminds me of one other thing I want to say about repair, which is that if you grew up in a home like I did, where the parents didn't know how to do repair and there was very little repair, I mean, maybe you don't even have a memory ever of a really well done, skillful repair with your parent, then a number of results can happen. For me, the result was I didn't ever expect a repair to ever occur when there was a rupture. And so, because I didn't expect repairs to occur, I grew up kind of white knuckling connection and attunement when it was there mm -hmm. and dreading and fearing that a rupture might occur because I never had an experience of the rupture getting healed or fixed. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting now in being in relationship with you and being lovers and spouses and business partners is that I keep finding deeper experiences in the felt sense, in the, in the body, in the felt sense when we actually complete a repair. In other words, these are new felt sense experiences for me. It's not like reminding me of an experience I had when I was a child because that experience wasn't there very much. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to put that out there that, you know, people who are listening who this is kind of new information or kind of a new way to experiment with being in partnership with someone that you might not have a memory in your body of what this feels like to really get to a full repair. And it's quite amazing to feel that and keep feeling deeper levels of that as we continue to practice this. Yeah, I love that and love that you're bringing it up. I often hear people say, oh yeah, we totally are good and we cleared that up. And then I dig in a little deeper and I hear like kind of darts being thrown here and there. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, that actually wouldn't be our definition of full repair if there's still right. anything residual. So right. how I know when I feel fully repaired with you is there's a couple things. One is I feel really known by you and I feel cared for by you. I feel like both of us have taken responsibility for whatever the, the thing is, whatever our part of the rupture was. We also believe, and tell me if you think this is wrong, but we also believe that we both have responsibility in ruptures. Right. That's another important piece here is that that's our baseline assumption is that it's a co-created problem for us to solve together. 
Right. The process is not about determining whose fault it was that it right. happened. <laughs> Although we can start there sometimes. <laughs> totally. And that's not a great place to start from, but we eventually get to the the deeper layers. Yeah. yeah. And when I, I know that we're repaired when I have a very somatic feeling of there prior to the repair, there was something, there's something in between us. For me, there's a really big energetic something between us. There's a way that I don't want to get closer to you. Or I would just kind of go in some sort of automatic relating with you. But when I know when I'm repaired, I actually want to get closer to you and I get more more excited about our connection and our relationship. Mm -hmm. And until I get there, I don't think I'm there in, in a full repair. Yeah, the way it occurs for me is like, there's a feeling of getting home all the mm -hmm. way home. And it comes up in the form, I notice this subtle shift in my energy that wants to play with you and that feels free to express and play that is different from what leads into that and is sort of like this um okay we've got a piece of work to do here and it feels like buckling down and and doing the work which also i also love that but it's it's a different feeling for sure totally in addition to both of us taking responsibility what we normally end up doing not all the time but usually is sharing how we might do things differently or how we're going to orient differently to the situation in the future so that we can avoid creating painful rupture with each other. Right. Trying not to step in the same pothole over and over again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe try and step in a different one next time. <laughs> exactly. So before we take a quick break, I just want to say too, I want to speak to this piece around how we hold rupture and the perspective about rupture. And really, I believe that you've really supported us in the beginning, and we've been practicing this ever since. And it doesn't feel like it's fully part of my brain, probably the younger part doesn't fully believe that it's true yet. But we keep coming back to the perspective that rupture is actually an opportunity to get closer. I know that is true for me, because I feel it with you all the time. But when I get tr in a triggered state, a younger part of me isn't like, oh, yay, this is like our place to get closer together. But we do hold rupture as an opportunity to become closer as an as a good thing rather than like trying to avoid it like maybe we did growing up or in other relationships avoiding rupture at all costs yeah i mean i i have a fantasy that and i call it a fantasy because i i didn't experience it myself and i don't think i offered this to my daughter as she was growing up but the fantasy that a child can be held in this format that we're talking about where rupture doesn't have to be as scary doesn't mean it's not painful but it comes with a deep security in knowing that repair will happen and it'll fully happen so given the fact that not many people i can't even say i've met maybe more than five people in my life who grew up that way mm -hmm. um then you know the rest of us are dealing with reactions like what you described uh, very similar to what i experienced which is like terror and fear and anger and all the things that go with concern that repair is not going to happen. You know, uh, the younger parts of us that can arise and tell us that this is going to go well. It's not know? a good thing. Totally. <laughs> not good. And if, you're, if you're coming from that psychology and that foundation, it makes it very hard to actually do incredible things together. Yeah. and see lots of possibility and you know be able to fully express ourselves with each other and do right. amazing things in the world so it's important for relationships for teams for anybody who has really a we that's really important to them yeah it's draining it's distracting it, it's energy consuming all those things 
When we come back from the, this just quick, tiny, tiny, tiny little break, we'll talk about some tips that we use when we get into rupture to help us get through it. We'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this episode. I want to take a quick break to let you know about a gift we created for you and your partner. We compiled our top 10 relationship agreements, agreements that have been so powerful in supporting the success of our partnership that we even turned them into our wedding vows. These agreements help us stay connected, growing, and thriving as a couple, and they've been critical to help us create a kind of we that's way beyond what we've ever experienced before. You can download this free gift at kristavanderveer.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-A-V-A-N-D-E-R-V-E-E-R.com. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, it would be so meaningful to us if you left us a rating and review. Not only does it help others find us, but it gives us critical feedback on how we're doing. Thanks in advance. And now back to the episode. So we're going to now talk a little bit about some of the tools that we have found useful and that we continue to practice to begin to do this repair that's so important to us uh, to get back into creativity and expression. And I think there's a, a foundation here of a what we like to call a growth-oriented mindset. So the growth-oriented mindset, I think in a nutshell, is 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 good for maybe each of us to speak to how we relate to that. And it's sort of in contrast to a victim-oriented mindset. When I feel growth-oriented, I'm looking at challenges as serving to help me get stronger and more able to achieve the goals that I want, whether it's a, a joyful, expressive, juicy partnership with you, or whether it's doing the next thing with our business. And the victim mindset is the world is against me and the inevitable curveball of life that happens all day, every day <laughs> is designed to fuck me. <laughs> and uh, it's such a dead end, that mindset, because it's similar to this thing we were talking about earlier about bracing for rupture. It's like waiting for the shoe to drop or you're waiting for the guillotine to come down on your head and you're just not in a creative, expressive, joyful, relaxed uh, way of being. So how would you describe that? With you and I specifically, I just get super young and I chomp down and I feel like I've been violated or something like, yeah. which totally isn't true. And I am, I'm not able to assume positive intent. I'm not in my kind of adult brain. I'm more in like, you did something to me. And it's a very, there's a very, again, somatic experience for me around, I get like contracted, I get angry and I get blamey. And mm -hmm. usually when I do that, when we're on top of our game, you come to me with some really key questions, <laughs> which we, which you, you right. want to share about the like parts work that we end up doing. Yeah. So a little context, there's a wonderful framework for working with ourselves and also for resolving trauma called internal family systems. And this was brought forward by Dick Schwartz, and uh, he created this whole system that is very effective in how we think about our internal psychology, our, the landscape of our being, and the different places in there and the different characters that can come forward. So we're not going to go too deep into that rabbit hole right now, but the basic idea is that we have a highly skillful and effective and mature adult self. Dick Schwartz calls this the self with the capital S 
It's a, a self that's plugged into our inner divinity. It's plugged into wisdom. It contains the human potential, uh, patience, forbearance, perseverance, compassion, all the things that we most of us would love to live into and live from that place all the time. But of course, we get bucked off the horse every single day. So the other parts of us that you're just talking about, the ones that come online when we rupture, we have a misunderstanding, we have some kind of miscue or miscommunication, tend to be these younger parts that didn't have the kind of support or resources to behave in a adult way, right? So for me, it's usually, I don't know why, but well, I, I'm starting to learn why there are a lot of things happened at this age for me, but it's often the 12 year old who comes online, who feels very alone and very responsible and very fearful and resentful about having to function like an adult when I'm 12 years old. So when, so. when it comes up inside a relationship with us, let's talk about how we how we actually address it with each other. Yeah. So a common experience I have with you is you pick up on something over here in my system inside of I've disconnected from you or I'm somewhere else psychologically. And then you might ask me, who's here? You know, who's the one who's here right now? And it's a, a gentle entry into a conversation that doesn't feel blaming. Mm or shaming, you know, to contrast that, you know, maybe a less skillful way to do it is, why are you ignoring me? Right. Or what's wrong with you? How many of us have heard that question before? Why are you on your phone again? Yeah. I exactly. thought you were going to work tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Which we have that pretty often. I mean, yeah. and just to give some context too, we have names for many of our parts. Like Will had a very, very, very young part cutie patootie. He had kind of this rebellious part we call Blackwater. I have like granola girl who wants to just go eat granola and, and like have that be her soothing comfort food and check out, you know, so we have these different parts. So we can actually name them. Oh, it was like, who's here? Is this Blackwater? Is this cutie patootie? Is this yeah. granola girl? And you know, all these different names. So yeah. So I think just to summarize that we, we help bring forward, bring to light that there's other parts operating when we get into some trigger. And what is kind of required is that the person, if we can tell, and this has taken us a lot, I remember years and years and years, like well, we've been together five years, but like the first couple of years together at our old house, we would sit in the kitchen and we would work this really hard to try to figure out who had the most resource in the moment right. to actually support the process happening. Because if we're both highly triggered or there's a big conflict going on, it's hard to be battling with each other, battling with these younger parts. Like we're just right. not going to get anywhere. So if if we can tell who's the person with the most resource, most in their adult brain, can they actually step forward and hold the other person in their experience first? And then once that person becomes more resourced and more regulated, then we can switch roles and help each other, you know, go the, yeah. op the opposite direction. That's a really important point. And it goes to kind of a technical aspect of abundant repair where inside of that commitment to each other, we have this commitment that whoever can show up is going to show up. Yeah. And, and so it's like, you're not keeping score in that moment of like, God damn it, I've shown up five times in a row this week right. in, in these ruptures and I'm the one who always has to fix it and blah, blah, right. blah. It's right. like, yeah, because the other person was three years old and 
they were not able to do that. And and so there's this sort of this deep trust inside of the commitment to abundant repair that mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's going to even out, but it needs to even out and it needs to feel fair. Totally. It, it needs to be a mutual commitment where you know, one person isn't taking all the responsibility for initiating the repair all the time. Totally, totally. And if that is happening, then it might be important to look as to why that's happening. And right. there's, you know, skills, maybe, but the person doesn't have as many skills as you to to do what we're talking about. Maybe there's trauma in the field that can't sure. overcome. Maybe there's agreements that aren't being made that would be really helpful. Right. So, yeah. So I just want to share a couple other quick things too that we just quick tips that we use when we get into uh, dysregulated or triggered or or rupture. One of them that I've loved from the beginning, and I don't actually don't remember how we really got into this, but is like a PG virgin virgin. (laughs) (laughs) Close. It's a PG version of what we call skin, which we'll get more into in a different episode or skin time. But basically when one of us and usually it's the person with the adult brain, but if we're both highly triggered, we can do this too, is we look at each other and then one of us will point to the nearest couch. And (laughs) one of us, probably the more regulated person, lays on top of the other person on the couch. Mm -hmm. And so the the dysregulated person can feel the weight of the more regulated person. Mm -hmm. And we just breathe together. And we get out of the loops in our brains around the trigger that's happening or the blaming or whatever the thing is and more into a somatic feeling experience with each other. Right. And that contact for me really, you know, I have to be willing to do that because often when I'm triggered, I'm like, fuck, no, I'm not going to the couch, you know, but (laughs) eventually we get there. Yeah. But it really helps. Yeah. It's a, it's a good sign that, that you need the couch when you claim that you don't need it. (laughs) Totally. Totally. (laughs) Kind of outing yourself. Yeah. 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 And this kind of falls into, I love having both of these tools because one of them is a more cognitive or, you know, kind of thinking, communicating, verbalizing tool. And the other couch, I don't know, couch time, maybe we could call it. Yeah. Right. That's good. Is a uh, a form of bottom-up processing or supporting the animal body that we all inhabit mm-hmm. to downregulate in a way that's not intellectual, it's not verbal. and Again, I, I want to share, like I did about abundant repair, that there's a moment when we do that, where you lie on top of me on the couch, where I can feel my breathing shift. I can mm. feel like a deeper rhythm. And uh, sometimes it comes with a big exhale. Mm. And you know the way the brain is wired, there's this way that the fight or flight system trumps the thinking system. And so when we intervene at the level of the fight or flight system with our bodies, a body intervention it opens up possibilities in our thinking and our way of communicating with words. So it's uh, particularly useful to start with the body intervention rather than starting with words because, you know, the words get hijacked by the fight or flight system pretty easily. (laughs) Totally. And often, often what we say, the person on top will say, like, if I'm on top of you, I'll say, can you feel me? Mm -hmm. Can you feel our we? And I know when you're laying on top of me, I actually need that invitation Mm. to stop ruminating in my brain even more. And then I actually focus on feeling you and leaning into the trust of the foundation of our we and the strength of our we. And often we sit, we might be on the couch for 30 seconds to a couple minutes 
and something will shift and then we can actually like contact each other and talk about what happened. Yeah. And the conversation is way more productive after that, typically. Totally. Yeah. And not, not that everything's about efficiency, but it's also more efficient. You know, there's less static in the words that we're using, you know, and less of a narrative of I've been wronged or this isn't fair or I got to prove my point or whatever the, the ways that the injury can speak, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so couch time, we'll call it couch time now. We actually, so we talked in the beginning about how we use these tools with people outside of you and me, friends, colleagues, even our team members. I want to clarify that with, especially, you know, actually, no, we don't use couch time with anybody else that I'm aware of. (laughs) (laughs) It's part of this, like, disagreement. So I just want to clarify that we don't. Yeah, there's an exclusivity clause around uh, couch time. Couch time together, yeah. (laughs) But maybe we can just share, before we wrap up, share how we actually do use this. And I think specifically with team, let's let's go towards the work realm. I mean, I, I think we would both say we have super tight friendships that we practice this all the time. They practice it sure. with us, we practice it with them. And that's just how, that's why they're super tight friendships, I think. But at work, let's just go there for a minute about how we use abundant repair. And I'll share that with the collaborative way, which is the methodology that I brought, brought into companies for about five years. There was an agreement amongst first the executive team, and then we would roll out to the rest of the company about doing cleanups with each other. We called them cleanups. And basically we had people practice doing cleanups with each other when they felt either negatively impacted by somebody or they thought that the potentially they negatively impacted somebody else. And so it's a way of helping create that connection inside of companies. And we're talking about, you know, when we're really up to something big together, if we're not doing that, then it's like working with an unoiled motor, like everything's clunky, things aren't flowing as well. People have resentments. I worked with this one woman who was a financial executive and she said how, you know, she was like, oh yeah, 10 years ago, this guy on the executive team at the holiday party said X, Y, Z. And like, I won't talk to him as a result of that. And that was 10 years <laughs> wow. ago. And it's wow. just like, you know, if we're, if we really want to accomplish something together, and I think people who are listening to this are very interested in that, it's so essential that we really slow down and take the time to care for the impact that we're having with each other and care for the impact that people have on us. Otherwise, we can't, in my belief, really do what we can, what we have the possibility of doing. I totally agree. I mean, we, fortunately, our business partners, Keith and Emma, uh, have a similar, they have their own version of this commitment. And so as co-founders of our institute, Keith and I have often talked about feeling like, you know, he's one hemisphere of the brain, I'm the other hemisphere in the leadership of of the institute and as you said when you're trying to build something that can impact you know millions and millions of people there you can't do it if there's just constant conflict or resentment or you don't have the tools to address ruptures and Keith and I don't do couch time together but we do <laughs> thank goodness <laughs> we do we do other uh, ways of of healing that but we had an, I had an experience last week that was so exciting when I was in a process with a large group of students at the Institute. And one of our leaders in our Institute was responding to a question from from a student. And, and she said, well, over here, we are committed to abundant repair. And I was like, wow, that's 
that's amazing to hear, you know, one of our folks who holds her leadership with so much care and so much sincerity speaking to that of a way that that we've continued we're continuing to try to build that culture. And this gives people permission to have conflict too, right? And 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 to have difficult conversations. And there's so many more elements of this for you and I to talk about in future episodes. But totally, there are certain things in the world that just can't be done by one person. And there are things that can't be done by two people or 10 or a thousand or a million, you know, and to have that cooperation and moving in the same direction to advance, it's essential to have tools. Yeah. Totally. And I want to acknowledge you because you brought that invitation into one of your team meetings and the response that you received sounded extraordinary. Like people were like, whoa, like I've never even heard of that happening inside of a workplace before. So I just want to acknowledge you as you continue to elevate how you guys do things, You both you and Keith continue to elevate how you do things as a team. You know, it's still challenging for me to bring that difficult conversation with someone at work who, you know, where I'm scared that we're going to have a rupture and I'm not, you know, this is a work in progress. You know, I just want to say that too. Thank you so much for joining us. If you found this content valuable, please follow the show and share it with your partner or other key collaborators. If the show has sparked an interesting conversation based on these topics, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on Instagram at Art of We Podcast. And we'll see you next time when we explore what it means to be better together, like butter and toast on the Art of We Podcast.